You're listening to 50% Facts, the show where we try to answer specific questions on an individual topic, and then at the end, we bring in an expert to give you the real answers. I'm Jim McDonald. And I'm Mike Farr. Welcome to our show. Any, I think what the hell, I saw Captain, but it's going to be too, a lot of things that sucks because uh, this might not come out till May, huh? Uh, this one probably will knows. come out the next. Uh, this one may come out next week. Just All right, so I saw variety. Captain Marvel. There you go. Saw Captain. Uh, we have a inside joke with me and the buddies because I I text kind of like a six year old, and Jim probably <laughs> understands this. <laughs> I don't feel like I think that way, and I don't feel like I always talk that way, but I I feel like I was on the cutting edge. You know when uh, <laughs> grandmas or fuck, I can see myself. I'm not. I don't plan on having kids, but hypothetically, I can see myself in my rocking chair, telling my kids I was on the cutting edge of something. Right? Like grandmas right. are like, yeah, I watched JFK get shot, or I yeah, watched yeah, yeah. the moon landing, and all these yeah. things. I'm the guy that watched text become what it is today. Right? There's AOL Messenger. Yeah. I, ha- I remember getting the. I had the very first Nokia phone that was busting around. My dad worked for AT and T, so we uh-huh. got all the phones like before they came out. Like they, those, I remember the Razor phone. I had that before I came out I had all these things and so I've text more hours well shit I podcast a lot I probably text more hours in my lifetime than I've spoken word (laughs) it's a possibility you know what I mean over last because it's probably 2001 ish when texting really became a thing and so I'm 30 that's 18 years and and I probably got a phone in 2000 Two, three, besides the point. I text like a child. So we are texting my buddies and I say, yo, I want to go see Marvel this weekend or Uh something of that nature. And they don't understand it, which is mostly on them, I'd like to think. (laughs) Because what other fucking Marvel movies out? Yeah. And what's it? It's called Captain Marvel, right? Captain Marvel, yeah. So then the joke becomes that we're going to go see Mrs. or Mr. Superwoman (laughs) and all these (laughs) things. Because we don't understand the Captain Marvel. We're like big fake nerds. Like we, we get it and we like it. But we're not like I haven't read every lore and comic book, you know. I have to tell you, I have no experience with this Captain Marvel. To me, Captain Marvel is the DC character that they now call Shazam. That they'd made a oh. movie with Zachary Levi, and that's not Shaquille O'Neal. It's not Shaquille O'Neal. What's either. that? Kazam. Oh, that was quality. Wait a minute, is that what the real one? Because there's because there was another one. People think that there was a sequel to that that had somebody else in it. So. Oh, uh, is what's his name in it? Sinbad. It's Sinbad. The one with Shaq doesn't exist. What? No. That's Don't the one say that doesn't exist. It has to be a movie. I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist. I could be wrong. Um, there has to be a movie. I feel like we've had this conversation before. There has to be a Shaq movie. Um, <clears throat> hey, this is Jim. Uh, I'm going to just pause the episode right here. I'm sitting here doing post-production, and I realize that, that this part of the conversation is kind of the best proof of concept about why we call this show 50% Facts. Uh, The movie was indeed called Kazam. It did indeed star Shaquille O'Neal. However, there's this widespread false memory phenomenon called the Mandela Effect, which makes people believe that there was a sequel movie with Sinbad that was called Shazam, that's uh, spelled the same way with a SH instead of a K. Uh, it didn't really exist, uh, but it, everybody, a lot of people think it does and or did. So anyway, I just felt like I needed to set the record straight right here uh, so then I don't get a bunch of messages about it. But the truth of the matter is, is that I'll forget and you'll forget and we'll be back to square one once again because of the Mandela effect. 
I don't know anything you just said. I don't know any of the DC stuff. I grew up in the 90s watching the Spider-Man series, X-Men series, and a little bit of Batman in that series. And that basically built my entire knowledge of comic books. And I watched so, every episode. So you didn't, you weren't reading... Never read a comic book in my life. I never read a book in my life. I went through <laughs> uh, half a college and all of high school reading one book. And that's it. I hate books. I, my ADD doesn't allow my brain to work that way. Even TV nowadays, it's got to be some high action shit for me to just sit there and not yeah. do anything. Yeah. Captain Super Miss Marvel. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Uh, not bad. Not bad. It's getting ripped. And look, for those out there, I'm not Rebert, Opert, and whoever, you know, Oprah. I don't tear these things down left and right. I like, you have to qualify, quantify these things. I'm paying $10 to waste two hours. Yeah. Is it worth it? Yeah. Right? Is it better than whatever I could find on Netflix? Is it better than whatever ABC and NBC's TV shows? Yeah. And to me, yeah, it was well worth it. And that's how I judge movies. Now, if we're going to talk about, is this thing art? Does it have a good message? Visually, whatever. I can talk that fucking way too. But when I say, yeah, it was pretty good, that just means $10 worth of entertainment. It was pretty good. Which people don't get into, right? Yeah. I'm concerned about the de-aging stuff. Uh, with Sam Jackson and uh, um, Clark look, Gregg. It looks really good. It looks really good. Okay. Yeah, even right. yeah, Connor, yeah. who does uh, some producing uh, for this show a little bit, but a lot for my YouTube and stuff, even Connor's like, how do they do that? I was like, I guess CGI of some nature? It's, it is a CGI thing, but like the fucking Rogue One had a bunch of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was really, really bothered me. Yeah, they look like a hologram in there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, Sam, like- Samuel L., first thing, the movie's cool. Because it's obviously every superhero, the first one's like an origin story, right? Right, right. So this was an origin story of Captain Miss Superman and kind of Nick Fury. Right. It was kind of his. Like, uh, because he begins the movie with an eye still and it's set in the 80s. So uh, this was. So they fucked up a couple uh, time things, though, I think. Unless I missed something. It is a little bit back in time, multiple times. It kind of goes everywhere, and obviously not on Earth sometimes. But he's like driving a car from 1977 for a second, and then later he hints that it's 1995. Oh. And then he's driving a car from 1999. I swear he's driving a 1999 Impala. Mm. But what do I know? It's possible. It's possible. So the movie's pretty good. I don't know where I was going with all this. Pretty solid movie. Samuel L. is still a fucking stud. Oh, she's too fucking powerful at the end. That's my one critique. See, There's that, my spoiler. That's the the Superman argument. But the, at least the thing that makes Superman right. a boring character is that he's pretty much all powerful. But at least they put out there that he's got this kryptonite thing that can fucking cripple. Right. Him. So like, there's a, a noted thing that everyone knows. His enemies know. Everybody knows. But this chick, because she's in the same world as X Men, and the same—I mean, there's some X Men poor guys that got no powers. Like they're barely doing nothing. Yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah. and, and then even like Captain America's cool, and like he's a great symbol for all this, right? Because he's basically fighting Hitler in his cartoons. But right. like, uh, he's not that powerful either. Like he's kind of strong and kind of quick. He seems to be basically unkillable, except that I understand that he's going to die because Chris Evans' contract is over. That's true. That's true. I fucking love Chris Evans. I like Chris Evans. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he's basically on like some 2050 version of Tren. That's basically all he is. Yeah. And then uh, Black Panther's kind of the same, except now he's got some tech on his side in the newer ages. And I don't know what the comic books say. I just know the movies again. But um, she's not of this. and, and, And yeah, she's not of this group. Yeah, and which is kind of a little bit like um, which I don't like because she was like born a human though, right? She is human. Okay, so it kind of reminds me then of uh, of Dark Phoenix, which, 
Phoenix, which is coming up with the X Men. That's the next. X-Men did you see movie. that preview? Yes, I did. It looks great. Except that Mystique looks terrible. She looks like her her makeup is all wrong. But it's the same girl, right? Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the other thing with X Men, <laughs> while we're diving, they're killing her off. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. well, she she dies in the trailer, so it's not like oh. a big surprise. Yeah, well, when she died in uh, X Men Three. So what confuses me? So I can yeah, yeah. I can get along with Spider Man, where they go whole new character, whole new movie, yeah, or a whole new actor. Yeah. Right, they go whole new actor, whole new story, whole new villain. Boom! Like those, those were the Tobey Maguire ones. These are Batman. Those were the fucking mm-hmm. Christian Bale ones. These are these ones. The issue, I liked all the X Men to be honest. Even the old one where Hugh Jackman looked like he's never touched a weight in his life, and everyone still thinks he's sick. X Men One, yeah, yeah, he looks like a fucking dried salmon. Uh, they, they, they go back and forth in time so many times with so many. But then the issue is, is they bring new actors, but then they also have Hugh in there. And then they'll bring like old actors, and then Hugh's still there. And I understand that Wolverine is timeless, like literally, like the, that's his power, kind mm-hmm. of. But it still gets a little confusing. Well, our topic today is a little bit way different. <laughs> but a, there's a there's a oh, little superhero bit, superhero. There's a little bit of a, a of a crossover. We're talking about gamers, yeah. and whether or not they actually exist, whether or not that is a uh, an element of the psychology of people who win. So part is, of the yeah. So part of the the, the the podcast, if you guys are new, it, it, it is that we're taking a topic, a subject that Jim and I find interesting, and then we're going to go find what we believe is one of the world's leading experts in the topics to give an answer. We try to answer this or question it in the beginning half of this podcast without doing any research. So I didn't do any real research, even though I was tempted on this question, Yeah, but I did think about it. And sometimes I don't even think about it. Sometimes I... Not that I don't think about it, but sometimes I don't like analyze it in my head. Yeah. But I started analyzing in the head what a gamer is. And for those, yeah, like Jim said, th- those that step to the plate, the uh, clutch, mm-hmm. ice water in your veins, whatever freaking phrase you want to use. But when the pressure's on, typically in sports, but may happen for, you know, fight or flight, maybe it right. might be involved. Right. Maybe a, a fireman, the first guy that wants to go in, or a soldier, the first one that wants to go in. These might all be signs of gamers. And to me, it kind of broke down to, uh, one, I do think there's an uh, inherent being that has some of this. Mm-hmm. Like a, Some people have it, and I think some people don't. And then two, and this is just from my experience as a powerlifter in basketball, right? I've never done anything real. Uh, two, I think confidence is going to be one of the biggest factors, and how you build that is a whole other bag of worms. And the question is, to what extent is that stuff just stuff that people are born with and they're they're just accessing stuff the rest of us don't have don't, can't get to, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um I wonder when I see people in these circumstances um were their parents like this? Right. Their parents like super intrepid and able to just go forward all the time. And to what extent, and I think it's probably great, do we uh, celebrate people for characteristics they have no control over. Yeah, that's the wildest thing to me, and and that's something like uh, it's kind of like part of like the Instagram movement or like whatever with like ladies now. Like they don't want to be complimented on like looking good. They want to be complimented on like being functionally strong. Yeah, right. Which is completely understandable because like looking good. Could, there's plenty of people that kind of look jacked and look pretty and they did nothing to earn that. Where some of these high-level athletes also look awesome and are very attractive, but they want to be uh, commended on their functional ability to do whatever sport it is, mm-hmm. which I, I do get. Um, but I do think as a society, um, you know, I've heard of pro NBA players, perhaps even all-stars, 
very high level that don't practice worth a shit, right? Yeah. And that's why I've made YouTube videos on genetics versus the hard work and talent beats hard work and people get all fired up because every little human out there thinks they can outwork, you know, the best mm-hmm. athletes in the world and hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work or whatever. And that's absolute bullshit. I hypothetically say I did everything perfect to go to the NBA. I was never going to the NBA. Uh, I, I don't think I did everything perfect, but I think I gave 70, 80% perfect hard work to go play to in the NBA, and I had no chance to make it. And hypothetically, if Jordan only put in 10%, he's still going to get further than me. Like, that's just how it goes. Yeah, I think that that's probably true. People are, um, like, we're, we're born with a certain set of characteristics, and then there are there are activities that require a certain set of characteristics. And if they match up. If yeah. they match up. And, but there, there are plenty of people who... Uh, um, who have very little talent for something, who enjoy doing it so much that they put a lot of effort into it, and they don't com- they don't suck. Right, right. Or, or I mean, if you look at me, like I am not built for basketball. Yeah, and I didn't suck. Right, yeah. like I have stubby little arms. Most basketball players are very lanky. I'm five nine. Most basketball but players, you your, know what I mean. Your coordination must right. have been pretty good. Right, you got gross and fine motor coordination. Your eye hand coordination must have been pretty good. If yeah. you could actually hit a basketball, you could. Yeah, yeah. You could jump yeah and i could run and there were yeah. some things just, that matched up well yeah i mean if you had been a few inches taller yeah which you could, had no control over it could have been a different it, story. it could have been a different story for sure it, it, you would you know it you would could have at least had like a, a college career that you right. yeah was more excited about. yeah they <laughs> were more excited about for sure yeah, yeah and that totally goes uh, to my personal experience on gamer i think i'm a gamer and who knows what that means but i've i have it when um I do seminars and speeches. I think I have it when I do podcasts. Flow state, I think, kind of flows into this thing mm-hmm. somehow when you're so confident and so you feel so in control of yourself in the moment, in the activity you're doing, uh, that time kind of changes, speeds kind of change, and you almost do feel like Neo in the Matrix kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. I've gone through basketball games, like overtime or whatever, and I felt like it was five minutes long. Like, or, you know, and I'm just freaking just whizzing by everybody. Like I, I'm on a different level. When I didn't feel that way, though, the one time is college basketball. Uh, yeah. I didn't have a great career. Uh, me and my high, uh, my college coach didn't necessarily get along that great. He didn't believe in me as much as I believed in me, perhaps. Um, there was some, long story short, he had all these like uh, prerequisites uh, to play a certain position, like run a certain mile to play a point guard. I played a mm-hmm. point guard my whole life. I'm used to kind of being in control. Um, I'm used to kind of running the team. And I didn't hit this running requisite. So they automatically, like, which goes back to like what I think is shitty strength and conditioning, but which automatically they labeled me as not fit that I didn't make a mile or two mile time, mm-hmm. but I'm not running a mile or two mile track and field. I'm playing fucking basketball. You know what I mean? Right, but yeah. beside the point, so they have me playing a position I'm not used to playing. Uh-huh. And then they have me coming off the bench, which I'm not used, used to doing. And I'm used to having my coach and my team have full confidence in me. And so then I was on level nine and, and I performed that way. Yeah, Where in yeah. the college experience, I didn't. So a lot of times when I did get very limited minutes, um, <clears throat> I wasn't a gamer. That was the one time in my life I felt like I felt like there was kryptonite in my fucking sneakers. Like mm. I was just didn't feel like myself. Um, but there's times like podcasts, like I said, seminars. I'll go to a seminar and uh, I'm expecting 20 people 
show up. I don't really have a game plan when I do anything in life. I, I have like I have loose notes in my head. Yeah. Loose notes in my head is how I run by everything. Like I know, all right, I'm gonna hit this point, this point, this point, and then we're gonna play it by ear. And I have a couple, you know, variants depending on how the situation goes. And I'll show up to a seminar and there's hundreds of people or a hundred people, right? Mm-hmm. I thought twenty, a hundred, and then something in me is like fucking go time and not that i wasn't excited and not that i wouldn't have done a good speech but i'm feeding off these people energy and i think i I give a speech to be president in 2024 you know like i think i go out there and absolutely crush it so and i think that is confidence and i think a little bit is um uh, like a showboatiness, uh, mm-hmm. I got that n- name a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> that I was a showboat or whatever it might be. But for me, it's it's I want to I want to impress people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a gray swipe in the background of your day on the street. Like I want to be noticed and I want to impress people and I want to do cool things. So when I see there's more people there and there's more energy there, where basketball game, po- the more people that listen to a podcast, whatever. Like mm-hmm. I, if we all of a sudden heard like, all right, this podcast is getting one million downloads. My performance probably goes up. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that goes to or what I would change. Uh, it's not a conscious decision, but somehow I'm like, ah, let's kill this. You know, like somehow yeah, in yeah. me, it, it, it wants me to go forward. Um, and not only is that kind of, yeah, my definition of a gamer, but that's just something I have been self-aware about for a very long time. Uh, the flow state thing I can I can identify with somewhat. Uh, the time that I experience it is doing improv because I can kind of see... It's it's the time that I can kind of see what's going to happen next. I have some idea what's developing. And that's sort of the hardest part of improv is being able to think of stuff going forward that will will connect, yeah. you know, together into something like a coherent, um, uh, you know, comic arc. Um, and that, that can be very difficult. And people psych that out really hard. And you get into the actual performance situation. It's like, oh no, I see where this is going. I right. know, like, I have an opportunity to do this thing. You have to listen a lot, and that's that's something that people, you know, have a difficult time with. Uh, yeah, like actually pay attention. Yeah, are you are you listening? Are you waiting to talk the, from uh, Pulp Fiction? Yeah. That's that's really the thing. If you're if you're actually listening, you have to like, okay, I have an idea of how this might work. Back back burner it keep listening yeah and for your opportunity to jump in with that thing and you it might just sit there you might never actually have a chance to do it but most of the time if you're a little bit familiar with the people that you're working with and you understand how ideas kind of connect to, to each other then you get a picture of where it's going which is the exact same thing uh except with uh, comedy there has to be kind of like a beginning middle and end and on a yeah. podcast there does have to be but a podcast can go especially the style that we kind of do where yeah we have a topic right here but it's still conversational or yeah. over presentational yeah. and comedy is obviously very conversational over presentational right. and so it can go multiple ways um, but one you really have to freaking wrap up and ours has a natural arc where now right. we have a, 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 a expert on and he's going to tell you how it goes show over right uh, we don't have to wrap it up it's exactly. just gonna happen um but i felt similar flow state here um but the biggest is probably basketball and i think it does have to do with control control confidence mm. i think those are the two things that at least pop in my head um when it comes to some kind of flow state and some kind of flow state often i don't think you get into flow unless you're like in command of the situation or at least mm-hmm. i guess internally feel you're in command of the situation and i also don't think you get into flow if you don't have that kind of fight over flight or mm-hmm. gamer mindset over because i'm sure there's tons of people that have done podcasts obviously billions of people that have done basketball right. and a good amount of people that have done ad lib or some kind of comedy yeah a lot of a lot a lot of people do and and, and none of them or not none 
a large percent have not felt some kind of flow or confidence yeah. in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so is that an aspect of being a gamer? And I think maybe being, I think that being able to uh, identify where the opportunities are and then try to execute yeah. to, to capitalize yeah. on them. I think that's maybe something that gamers do. It's weird in sports because like, Everyone who doesn't know basketball is like, well, Michael Jordan was a gamer. Like, he was the number one gamer. But, like, we could look up his percentages. But, like, last uh, last second shots or a buzzer beater, like, his percentage is probably, like, 25% from the field or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, which isn't good because from the field he's probably, like, 46 or something on his career. Yeah. Right? So, like, the percentage goes way down. Um, so, does gamer mean you have to succeed in that? Or does gamer just mean that you your performance is slightly... In, over the rest of the people, that's what I think a gamer is. Like I your think performance is a little bit above, right? You're, else, you're just yeah. above average when the when the pressure's on, yeah. and then also that you live for that moment. Yeah. Like I wasn't a very good shooter in high school in basketball, but like, and we had a really good shooter my senior year, and mm-hmm. so as a junior, and I played point guard, I just didn't like to shoot, so I was always the guy kind of making the play for the guy to shoot the buzzer beater, and we had two guys that just ripped buzzer beaters all season. It was an insanely magical season, like even on the scale of all basketball, looking back on it. But then my senior year, we were still super good. Um, but coach had all the confidence in me that year. He had confidence in me all the time, but now to shoot. And so like, I still live for it, even though I couldn't shoot or shit, you know, like I'm just I'm like, yeah, coach, give me that rock. Dude. And all of a sudden I'm a good shooter, you know, like, so I don't think outcome is always the, the factor of a gamer or not, is but being able to see the opportunities and try to trying to, to and the, yeah, like to, need like yeah. I, that's me. Like I'm ready. I see myself <laughs> yeah. in the Super Bowl throwing a fucking touchdown. Yeah, being coach, yeah, 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 like really wanting it. And then also, yeah, your your skills are elevated under pressure, and your skills are elevated over the masses mm-hmm. under pressure. Is what's in my head. Okay, so the other question, I guess, for uh, the doc is this: Are there mental exercises that people can perform to make themselves? more open to seeing those possibilities and being <clears throat> acting like a gamer, whether they yeah. were born with it or not. I don't know what this guy's going to say. I've never been to a sports psych. I've, I have been to a psych when I was younger um, for years, and then my high school basketball coach was really into this kind of stuff, yeah. but he's not like registered or anything, yeah, yeah. right? He just has a regular BA in kinesiology. But uh, he taught me a ton about visualization, so I imagine visualization is going to play a part here. And my head coach would talk about to everybody, right, about visualization and the team and all these things, but I don't think everybody on the team would take it seriously. And I was one of the few that probably took it really, really serious. And so I've visualized since I was a freshman in high school everything I do. And a big thing he talked about when visualizing, he said, always see yourself succeed in the visualization, for one. You're never failing. You're never missing a shot right. in visualization. But you could also see any any um, uh, instance that may have the potential of happening. Like, the instance may be negative. You're going to still win, or you're mm-hmm. still going to turn it around, but, like, you hurt your fucking ankle, but you played through it. Or you, you know, the defender, you're getting double-teamed, or whatever it might be. Things may be bad in this visualization, or you just have to see every potential outcome, mm-hmm. or every potential situation, but the outcome's always positive. So yeah. every potential situation, some potential situations are negative, but the outcome's always positive. Um, and that's kind of the same as, like... Um, speeches podcast right ad lib you're you're on stage all of a sudden two the two guys you're with freeze up like that's potentially the worst situation ever right but how do you make it positive and you visualize yourself always feeding their energy or whatever right yeah how do you figure out how to flip it around so that you can keep it moving forward yeah uh i've i always tell uh lifters to visualize their their lifts visualize how they're performing in meet visualize how they're performing in um you know training whatever uh and i think a lot of people just can't do it yeah but i do it before i fall asleep if i'm if 
you know, whatever I'm trying yeah, yeah. to do, I, I, I do it before I fall asleep. I think about like how is this going to play out and what will I do if if this happens or that happens. Yeah, and I think when you get deep into it, it almost becomes a flow of itself. And again, I've been just doing it years, and I've just been doing it based on Dean Stark, my, my high school basketball coach, teaching me. But like he was really big on like getting so deep into it. One pushing, uh, starting with setting a time, right? Whether it's before sleep or, mm. or meditation, whatever you want, it can't just be while you're driving in a car, and it can't just be while you're at practice, and it can't be ten minutes before you're about to perform. Um, Really set up time apart. Do it multiple times, right? If you have, if you play football in your game Sunday, do it all freaking week. Like the more the better. Um, two, you're setting a time apart. You're going to a quiet space, laying down, sitting down, whatever you want. Eyes closed, eyes open, whatever you want. Um, but you have to get to a mental place and how deep you're looking into the situation that you get physical reaction from it. And so I would be in times where I'd, I'd like my breath's going up, my adrenals are going up, yep. like uh, I, I start sweating or I'm getting nervous or I'm getting goosebumps because I'm, I'm hitting the last buzzer beater mm-hmm. or I know the defender that's guarding me is so freaking good that I'm going to have to be on my A game and I'm going to have to be my quickest to, to, to beat them, uh, whatever it might be. Um, and that goes the same for all of it. I think Everyone talks about it, visualizing, but I don't think many people actually, like actually you said, actually either try to do it or do it correctly. Yes. It's just a very passive thing, but it can't be passive. It has to be very conscious. It has to be a real, something you really dedicate time and energy towards. It has to be the only thing you're doing. Um, yeah. It, it doesn't have to be three hours long, um, but it has to be dedicated time. Yeah, which is why right before you fall asleep has been really good yeah. for me because sometimes that bleeds over into dreaming. Yeah. With that, we're going to shift on over to sports psychologist Dr. Matt. Johnson. Hello? Hey, it's uh, Jim and Mike. Yeah, how you doing, guys? Good, how are you? Good. We, what we actually wanted to start with was the, the issue of gamers. People, uh, do they exist and, and, and why do they exist? People who seem to be able to be more resilient and um, especially in, in moments of uh, high adrenaline. Yeah, clutch, ice water in their veins. Do those people exist naturally? Is that a, a skill we can learn? Is that a, is that something? You know, I've I've teammates. I play basketball my entire life. You have teammates mm-hmm. that crush it in practice. They're amazing, and then they get in a game, and and their performance goes down. Who knows what? Fifty percent, or they freeze up, and, and it's not from lack of experience, and it's not from lack of skill. But there's something that holds people back. Where where I like to think like. I've I've not made a lot of basketball teams in my career, whether it be competitive or, or some college minutes or whatever it might be, because I don't look yeah. that great in practice, but you put me in a game and I'm going to perform. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that's the question that a lot of people uh, want to know the answer to. And um, so I do consulting, and I get that question a lot from parents. Uh, if I'm working with high school kids and uh, even college kids, you know, they do great in practice, but in the game, they don't do as well or sometimes even do um, quite worse. So, um, you know, and nobody, uh, you know, in terms of the research, nobody knows anything definitive. Um, and the question always is, is this, you know, just genetic? Is it something you can learn? Uh, from, from my experience, uh, it, to me, it one of the big areas is focus. It comes down to what the athlete is focused on and, and Again, this is the area that I work with athletes on all the time. You know, I'll just simply ask them, you know, when you're when you're in a game, um, and sometimes it could be a pressure situation or it could just be a game situation, um, you know, what are you focused on? And then uh, in practice, what are you focused on? And, you know, inevitably um, in practice, they are just focused on the task. And if they're playing basketball, they're just playing. Um, and... 
if they're in a game situation, they're often worried about the outcome, worried about making mistakes, worried mm-hmm. about losing, worried about uh, you know missing a shot in basketball. Um, and those, checking out the cheerleaders, <laughs> worried about the snack, the snack bar. Exactly what's gonna what's gonna happen after the game, you know, and you know, for younger kids too, it it can be you know worry about you know getting yelled at by mom and dad or being criticized mm-hmm. by mom and dad um, or coach. So you know, so those those athletes that you know, Tiger Wood used to be you know really great at this when he was first on the tour, um, and you know, in my experience, it's about you know when the pressure's on, you know, ninety percent of athletes. And again, this is just a figure that they. To my experience, ninety percent of athletes, when there's quote unquote pressure, um, you know they they they, perf- they underperform, and it's those ten percent that actually perform even better. I remember a, a college swimmer that I was talking to, and she said, you know, uh, when it when the pressure's on, I, I'm really tuned in, uh, but most get distracted um, by the situation instead of being absorbed in the situation. But, you know, Tiger Woods was, you know, one of the best again in his heyday. It just, because when the pressure was on, he was just tuned into, you know, what's my target, you know, um, what's my strategy, not, am I going to win? Am I going to lose? Um, but really tuned in. From your experience or, or data, either way, is there a way to kind of train that focus then um, to go away from what it sounds like to be maybe more negative things? Obviously, distracting things, but I'd imagine negativity going into your mind also, like you said, like the outcome, like well, what you know, what if I miss this shot and then we lose? Like that's all negative. Rather than I got to get my form right, I got to get up the court in two seconds, and I, I got to knock down this shot, which all seem positive or progressive or again focused. Is there a way to kind of train that, or is that again yeah. kind of just uh, yeah, I guess praying that <laughs> you, you for confidence and, and positivity. Right. Um, yeah. And that's what I talk to athletes about. You know, it's not about hoping that I do well. It's about knowing what to focus on. Um, and even the thing that you mentioned um, is something that's a bit deceptive. You said, you know, let me get my form right. And, but that's actually not even helpful. <laughs> that's detrimental. Mm. Um, what you want to be tuned into is uh, essentially uh, if it's in basketball, you know, just do what I do. Just do what I do. Do my thing. Not thinking about what you're doing. Not becoming self-conscious about what you're doing. And so, you know, if you're thinking about the outcome, if I'm going to miss it, am I going to make it? You're you're becoming self-conscious about the outcome. Even if you're thinking about your form, I got to have good form. You're becoming self-conscious. So what you want to do is you want to let go of that and you know what I call trust your training. I mean. You think about it, athletes, you've been training all week in practice and for months on ends. And in practice, you're just tuned into to what you're doing. Then all of a sudden you get in a game situation. Now you're thinking about what you're doing instead of just going out to do it. Um, and so, you know, essentially that's the, the idea is just training them to do what they've been training themselves to do. Now, uh, it's often easier said than done, but that's why, you know, you know, what I teach is mental skills. So just like physical skills, you wouldn't say, okay, well, you know, we'll practice uh, for about a couple hours on Wednesday and then we'll see how it goes in the game, right? You're practicing every day. Um, So same thing with mental skills. It's not something that you just, you know, okay, all right, great. I'll try this when the game comes. No, it's something that you're working on every day. And that's why practice is so important and how you actually shape practice by creating pressure situations to practice, um, so I was fortunate enough to um, 
play football at the University of Notre Dame College under a guy named Lou Holtz. And, you know, one of the things that he did just a is guy. tried to... <laughs> just, what's that? Just a guy named Lou Holtz. <laughs> just Notre yeah. Dame. Right. Um, so, you know, one of the things that he did was actually, um, you know, put us in pressure situations. And his philosophy is, you know, we want to create pressure in practice to make it more difficult in practice. So when the game comes, then, uh, you know, it's like a vacation. Mm. Um and actually, even I had this experience in high school with my basketball coach, who was one of the, um, you know, one of the best basketball coaches. And I'm from Indiana, and I don't know if you know, but uh, in Indiana, it's uh, everybody has to have a basketball goal in their in their driveway. <laughs> or it, it's illegal if you don't. Um, but he was, you know, uh, for example, you know, we would go six on five. And we were, and this is before the shot clock. They had a shot clock, and mm. you know, so you, you could keep the ball for as long as you want. And so he put six play, defensive players out there, you know, and we had to keep the ball for three minutes without getting it stolen. And so again, just uh, simulating pressure situations. Um, but that's what you want to do, um, so that you're uh, better prepared when you get into competition. What do you feel, or how do you feel about visual visualization? Yeah, well, the first thing I'd say is every athlete and every human being uses visualization. I mean, most people don't realize it, mm-hmm. uh, but just thinking about what am I going to do today. And again, you don't necessarily, sometimes you may think, okay, these are my plans, this is my to-do list. Um, but even if you don't think that, you, you're you doing it, right? You're, you're, uh, you have a plan, you have an agenda. So in some form or other, we're using visualization. Now, some people are able to visualize uh, better than others. Um, so there is kind of a, a skill development component to that, um, you know, and visualization can, can also be counterproductive if you can't, if the athlete can't control their images. One time I was working with a, um, a college diver and she had never div, uh, dove off a 10 meter platform before, mm. uh, but she was very, very talented, you know, division one athlete. And, um, so we, we started doing some visualization about, uh, diving off the 10 meter uh, platform and all of a sudden she was like oh no i oh i don't like that mm. so when we talk about what was going on well she was seeing herself you know smack on the water and so mm-hmm. you know of course that's you know you don't want to keep doing that so we had to reel it back and start focusing just on the images she could control and then gradually increase her ability to control those images then it became helpful and effective uh have you had instances where an athlete went from from really not having that that ability to deal with high pressure situations to then excelling in them. Yeah. Um, so many times just by, uh, for some athletes I've worked with, just pointing out the difference in, in terms of where their mind's focused, mm-hmm. they've been able to just make a, you know, just a, a shift just right there. You know, that's not the norm. Um, that's what most people would like to be able to do. Right. You know, typically it takes practice um, because our mental habits are just like our physical habits. You know, a golfer making a, a grip change, you know, it's going to take him millions of swings to get comfortable with that and to be consistent with that. So, um, so same thing mentally. You've got to have those mental reps. But if you don't know what to do, and that's why you know, I kind of talk about there are three steps in the change process. First is awareness. You've got to know what's going on. And that's what I ask athletes. You know, where's your, let's look and see where your mind is at right now or in these quote-unquote pressure situations. And where's your mind traveling to? Where's it going to? Second, um, where do we want it to go to? 
And then third, we got a practice taking it there. So, um, so that's what, again, we do is beginning to, to practice shifting our focus back onto what's going to be most helpful. Are there any other factors that come into, you know, kind of the clutch type of athlete? You mentioned focus, um, but, and this is 100% just uh, me thinking out loud. Uh, Kids can't focus worth shit anyways, right? But (laughs) I played basketball since I was in third grade, real competitive since about fifth grade. And again, there's some kids, you know, if you talk to uh, little Mikey when I'm 12 and you ask me about focus and what I'm focusing on, I have no clue, right? Awareness as a kid is also kind of a weird concept until hopefully our teenage years or or young adulthood. Um, But there's still these kids that are clearly unfocused. They're picking daisies in the soccer field Mm -hmm. while they're playing defense. Um, But in basketball or maybe more um, higher speed games, you can't really tell their focus, but there's still this, this division of kids that just kind of outshine under pressure moments and kids that do not. Um, are there any, any other factors that you know of besides kind of, again, that, that main focus from practice or main focus in, in those situations? Yeah. So, so interest, you know, um, so you mentioned the kids <laughs> tuned in to the daisies, right? Well, they're pretty focused on the daisies. Yeah, true. Yeah. They're not that interested <laughs> in soccer, you know? So actually, you know, kids can focus really well if it's something that they want to do. I mean, mm. you know, even little kids, they can get really immersed in it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's part of the problem, right? You're trying to get your kids to, to pick up their clothes or to clean around the house or they won't do it because they're interested in something else. Right. So, um, so interest is key. You know, what is the interest? And then, of course, you know, fear or threats come into play that can pull attention away, right? So, again, that's the big thing is, is there a fear of retribution, you know? You know, one of the quickest ways to create a fear of failure is to criticize someone when they fail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this happens all the time in sports, um, knowingly and unknowingly. You know, coach, you know, what the hell is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Well, you know, that's what I talk to coaches and athletes about. I don't know any, I don't know any athlete who's trying to make a mistake, who's trying to fail. Yeah. Right. You know, but yet we're, we're criticized or, or you know, we got coaches who are like, throw strikes, you know, like, well, duh, yeah. you know, as if they're trying to throw balls. So, um, so that's what I kind of teach coaches, uh, you know, techniques and strategies to help those athletes um, loosen up the tension that they feel. So that anxiety, that fear of making mistakes can come into play from the environment. Again, it could be parents, could be uh, coaches, and it could be the pl- players themselves. Yeah, I find that highly true, at least for myself. I was pretty lucky to have parents that were pretty positive and, and supportive and, and a high school basketball coach that was one of my greatest mentors of my life still that was really positive. But I was so negative on myself. Do you think there is any room for negativity in creating you know, a good athlete? Because I, I like to think I was a pretty successful and good athlete. I like to think I'm somewhat of a successful human, that I'm not a total piece of shit. And I like to think that it comes from me being so self-critical often in a negative sense, being aware of everything that's bad, so then hopefully I can work on it to be good. Is there, is there room for that, or is that, uh, you think, uh, too detrimental? You know, that last part that you said right there, you know, critical on myself so I know what to do. Know what to do, that's the key. Ah, there um, you go. So the critical part, you know, can, uh, again, I'll ask athletes, um, you know, what you're essentially talking about is self-talk. How do you talk to yourself? Mm. Um, and, you know, 
if you're critical, so, so, you know, there's the doubter when we doubt, there's the critic when we kind of, uh, you know, what the hell's wrong with you? How could you do that? You suck. And so I'll ask them, you know, does that help you? And if they say yes, then I'll ask them how they feel it helps them. And kind of what you said is, I think, essentially, you kind of get to the point where you figure out what do I need to do to improve? Um, what do I need to do different? And that is important, what I call critical information. Now, you know, saying I suck, I'm horrible. And if you're not knowing what to change, then um, in my experience, athletes, you know, they begin to get distracted by that self-criticism. Yeah. So it really depends on what all is being said there. Um, so that, you know, what you might call negative self-talk, it may be, there may be what we call informational self-talk actually couched in there that they're not aware of. Um, so that's what I always start out with is, you know, finding out what do they mean when they say, you know, they're really critical of themselves and they feel it helps them. Is it the criticalness or is it actually the information on what to do differently that helps them? I'd imagine uh, this may be a duh answer, uh, but there's some athletes out there that naturally have all of this kind of figured out and are on the right path. Like you kind of mentioned Tiger in the early days. I'd imagine also sports psych in general as um, a science, as a helpful tool, as a profession is fairly new in the scheme of sports or athleticism, right? I mean, we've been doing Olympics since who knows what, right? The concepts might have been there naturally, but us analyzing them and helping others, obviously, maybe newer. Um, is there someone like Tiger or, you know, Jordan or whoever's, you know, known as the most clutch ever, uh, just naturally have these lined up and never need help or, or, or consulting on some of this? Is that possible? Right. Yeah. Um, so, so certainly there's a, you know, natural tendency that, you know, everybody has their own unique personality that their you know, genetic uh, disposition um, you know, when you think about Tiger, though, actually his dad did a lot of training with him. Yeah. His dad was in the military. And so he did many of these things, you know, such as when he was taking his backswing, he'd screech the golf, golf cart in the middle of his backswing. He'd walk across <laughs> his line. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he's doing all these. But And here's a part that a lot of people don't know, and sometimes parents too, uh, that was really crucial. When he told Tiger, he said, you know, hey, you know, if you really want to be good at this, I can really – you know, help you to be able to do that. And so, um, but uh, I'm going to do a variety of things essentially to just try to distract him. And, but if you ever want me to stop, you just say this code word. Mm. And not a lot of parents realize that. They think I just got to be hard on my kid. But what he did in saying that is he gave Tiger a sense of control that he could make it stop anytime he wanted. And we know in, in psychological experiments, when we're given a sense of control, we can deal with a lot if we know that we can do something to make the situation change if we want to. Yeah, but from and the outside, that, Tiger's dad, from the outside, Tiger's dad looks like a psycho. You know, this twelve-year-old's putting on the green, his dad's dancing <laughs> right. in front of him, calling him names or something. <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, so, so he had that uh, that training at you know at a young age, um, and then you know the other ones, uh, you know Jordan, of course, uh, you know story about not making his high school team as a sophomore and you know putting that that dedication that time in um but uh you know for some there is uh, at least in my experience is just a genetic um you know disposition where they're more prone to uh you know to be persistent um to be focused on the next play 
on what to do and not getting caught up in fear of failure or making mistakes. We talked about fear of failure, but do you see fear of success as well? Sure. Um, yeah, anytime there's uh, new territory, such as, oh, you know, hey, I could win my first, you know, Wimbledon championship. Mm-hmm. Um, or as a team, you know, we could wor- win the you know, world championship in basketball. Um, then there's that sense of unknown, like, you know, what's this going to be like? And again, that can be a potential distraction. Uh, pulling our mind away from the task at hand. Um, you know, I, when I work with athletes, I, I talk to them about uh, kind of the myth of the big game. Um, you know, so if it's a championship game versus a regular season game, I mean, what are you trying to do that's different other than strategy? Yeah, court's the I mean, same are you size. Trying to make a shot. Yeah, rim's right. the same size, ball's the same size. Five exactly. guys on each team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so what I say is, you know, if you're if you're if you're golf golf announcers, if you're NBA announcers, any kind of media, you're trying to hype it up. I mean, that's your job is to create a lot of drama, mm. you know. But for an athlete, you're not. You're you're just trying to stay focused on the task. And so, you know, announcers, oh, this is the biggest game in the world. No way, this team's going. You know. And so, and if you get caught up in that, then all of a sudden now you're you're getting distracted. Yeah, then it's a problem. I I could see that, and then and maybe even maybe in the outcome of that as well. Um, like uh, suddenly there'll be so much attention on me that I that I'm going to have trouble focusing, or I feel just feel uncomfortable um, with that with the level of adulation that a that a even now high school athletes get. Mm-hmm. Yep. So again, we're that creating that self conscious conscientiousness. Yeah. Um, as opposed to you know being absorbed in the task that you're doing. I mean, that's really the key is being absorbed in the task. You know, there's something called flow. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did uh, research on, on this, the concept of flow. It's kind of like being in the zone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's like eight characteristics that have been defined by, by that. You know, one of them is, self, is absorption in the task. And a second one is uh, loss of self-consciousness, uh-huh. conscientiousness. So, you know, you're just, you're in, that's why I say kids, kids are actually, great at this when they're doing something they want to do. They're just so into it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but any of us can be. I mean, reading a good book, you know. I remember I had a high school uh, or a college roommate who, I mean, he was so absorbed in reading, you know, I'd call his name three or four times <laughs> till finally he'd look over. But he was just in it. So, and sport is a great environment to be able to, to get that, that flow state um, and be in the zone. Yeah, we've talked about flow a few times, and I think the only time I've ever experienced is a few podcasts where I'm just all in for some reason, yeah. uh, and then playing basketball is the only yeah. time I can think about it. Uh, and f- uh, for me, I mean, it, it, yeah, some podcasting, but like I do some improv comedy, and you can feel it there too because you yep. can you can see it come, you can see what's coming, you can see how it's playing out, you can see what you need to do, and you can actually think about what your contribution is going to be. Uh, and wait for the opportunity to do it while still listening. It's, it's a lot of stuff going on at once. Yep. And, and, and what's happening there is that you're not having to process all the information because there are just certain uh, uh, cues, certain things that are going on that your mind is not really attending to. You're just letting it go in and out. I mean, you're noticing, but you're not really attending to it. So it's not pulling your mind away from the moment and that's what happens in basketball is uh, that's why i say you know 
I always ask, you look at where the athlete's mind uh, gets pulled away, what I call potential distractions, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, everybody wants to be in the zone. And the question is, how do you get in the zone? You know, no one, no one's found out a way to make themselves or make an athlete get in the zone. But what we can do is we can set the conditions to increase the probability of getting in the zone. And a big way to do that is to understand what pulls the athlete's mind away from the task mm -hmm. and to train them so that they no longer, um, their mind doesn't get pulled away from the task. Yeah, it's interesting because it can be scaled so many ways. There's yeah. a lot of people kind of in the regular fitness industry trying to talk about flow and a lot of people trying to take advantage of it too. So you take this supplement and sleep two hours, wake up, have a cup of coffee, and now you're in flow. Like, All right, pal. Um, but it is interesting, right? Like riders, riders are always talking about getting in flow. Oh, I, I rent this certain cabin out in Lake Tahoe yeah. every September and I wake up at seven, have a cup of coffee. You know, they build a routine right. and, and a way to kind of get, I guess, you know, no, and phrased it perfectly, we don't think about it, but get get rid of all distractions and really be able to live in a moment, um, which is very interesting because I think it applies to anything you want to be good at. If you can find a way to do that, you're going to be better at it. Kind of a final question on this point. I know that a lot of our um, a lot of our listeners are involved in a like solo performing sport. So like mm -hmm. weightlifting or powerlifting where you're not competing every weekend or multiple times a week or, or it's basically a few times a year, you're doing a lot of training, you're training three or four days a week. Um, but the actual performance, which is an all day thing. Um, I've, I've seen people who far, far underperform their, their best in meets, you see them just kill it in practice, you know, and, and really, I mean, failing a lift is, it's an either or proposition, right? Um, mm -hmm. And some people have the mental fortitude, I guess, to be able to, to recover from a bad performance on a first lift or, um, or pull out a, a good total on a day and other people, or, or they're just sail through all day long. They'll go nine for nine or whatever and other people just don't. Is there any difference in in that kind of uh, of sports performance versus um, a, a a team sport, a game sport, or um, yeah, I think fighting. Uh, what, what comes to my mind is fighting, right? You tennis. train, yeah, you train. Well, maybe not tennis to my head because what my head is is you train for like six months for one event. Yeah, you know, and tennis is a little more common. Golf's yeah. a little more common. I'm yeah. thinking like, yeah, powerlifting, weightlifting is a little bit more uh, frequency of competition. But boxing, even stand up comedy, yeah. some things you'll like train for years and compete once. Mm -hmm. Like that yeah. seems almost harder. Even with all these directions and things you gave us, it seems harder because you don't get to practice the competition part, right? Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Olympics are. are a common example yeah. of that in some ways, um, although not, you know, they, they compete more throughout the year, but, you know, to be at the Olympics comes every, you know, four years. So, um, yeah, and again, I mean, what I would say is, you know, the importance of, um, you know, uh, partitioning that out through the year, you know, setting up um, some competitions throughout the year. Um, and, and certainly, it, you know, nothing's going to simulate exactly what it's like to be in, you know, pressure mm -hmm. situation in competition. That's always the thing. But uh, what we try to do is do the best that we can to simulate as much as possible. Um, and, you know, just overall emotionally, you know, just in the, the long run, 
um, you know, that kind of setting it up for like an all or nothing mentality, you know, can be really detrimental either way, even if you win, mm-hmm. you know, because now there's this huge letdown. Right. Because you've built it up. So, I mean, I've talked to people you know, after they, um, you know, competed in, you know, the, their top event in their sport and now all of a sudden they won but now it's like okay now what because yeah. they've put everything in and been dedicated to it again which is important but you know also having a sense of balance uh, as best you can and you know there's no complete balance but you know thinking about a long-term perspective about this so whether they win or lose um you know the fact that of you know the time they spent uh, the effort that they put in um because if it's just about winning and losing, then, again, it's going to be all about uh, a big crash at the end. Yeah, and even long-term, right? Retirement, and that's a whole other exactly. discussion we can yeah. open up. But where do you go from there if you live and die yep. by the Olympics when you're 40? And maybe that's why there's a lot of depression in some competitive athletes or, or drug abuse or who knows what because they have to go. And, that, again, I don't want to go too down a wormhole. <laughs> uh, but another podcast for another day. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, they're just putting too much pressure on one moment. Yeah. And again, I mean, understandable, but that's where I think people around them, if this athlete doesn't have that experience, uh, to be able to pace them for this, uh, mm-hmm. certainly, you know, you got, you're, you're training to peak at that time, but it's also important, you know, to mentally, you know, train them, um, for themselves, you know, beyond just being an athlete, because, um, at the end of the day, you know, every athlete is going to have a second career. You know, again, we're talking like I said, another podcast, but about, uh, you know, what um, uh, termination, they're going to end their career at some point. You know, they may be 18, they may be, you know, 55. But, you know, the question is, what are you going to do then? Um, Even if you have all the money in the world, it's not about money. I mean, I've known NFL guys who, you know, they don't need, they're done at 32, they don't need any more money. Yeah. And for the first year or two, it's great, of course, because, their body's not taking a pounding. It's I'm going to be racquetball champion in the states. I'm going to be mm-hmm. you know golf champion, and mm-hmm. then but after that, then it's like okay, now what am I going to do? Because as human beings, we need meaning. So if we don't find meaning in something else, then it's going to be tough. For sure. Well, I think we covered that topic as well as we're going to be able to in the course of one podcast. We have a couple more episodes coming up with Dr. Matt Johnson. In the meantime, you can find him on his website, Dr. Matt, J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com, DrMattJohnson.com. I'm at the DJ McD on all the social media. Mike is silent. Mike with two Ks. The show, 50% facts, percent is a word on Instagram and Twitter. If you're enjoying the show, please share this episode on social media and send it to a friend or two friends or three friends. Uh, We really appreciate that. And we'll talk to you next week.